naughty or nice. I don't really care, so I'm checking it once. Labor laws and we're short on supplies, so I'm taking liberties with the naughty or nice. Johnny is a good boy and donates his money, but he thinks Dane Cook is funny. Naughty. Danica owns a car and gives her friends rides. Even though they don't go far, she makes them pay for petrol. Naughty. Michael farts in his hand and holds it on his brother's face. Pretty fucking funny, but also pretty naughty. Joanna says thank you is generally good, but all her answers on dating apps are food. That's basic. I'm the big boy, so I decide. Maybe if everybody's on the naughty list, it means that I don't have to deliver shit. Hey, Santa, do you have a moment? Oh, hello, Jeffrey. Back so soon from your court-mandated coffee break, you Marxist fuck. You can't talk to me that way, Santa, and you gotta stop taking liberties with the naughty list, okay? I can do whatever I want. I'm Santa Claus, baby. Why don't you go make me some more PS5s, you lazy little communist? That's not the point. You've made me 17 PS5s. They are very difficult. You know, for the entire fucking world, so why don't you stay in your lane, Jeffrey? Santa, as your head of staff, I strongly advise... Oh, now you're strongly advising me, are you? Come on, mate. Whose face is on a Coca-Cola bottle, Jeffrey? I'm not getting into is this. Is it your face, Jeffrey? started a new campaign. Jeffrey, have I been drinking old Coca-Cola and have somehow missed your fucking face on all of the new Coca-Cola bottles, huh? You, Santa. Fuck off, Jeffrey. Philip was named Philip when he was born, but he makes his friends call him Philippe. I think that's naughty. Chris Pratt doing an Italiano accent for Mario. Here we go, right on my naughty list. A naughty man named Billy who touches his dirty willy when he thinks no one is watching. I'm watching, that's naughty. Every single elf that signed up to unionize, here is a surprise. You are all assholes all through the year. I've been watching you while you've been asleep, while you've been awake, while you've learned to bake bread. I hear you say, I want to be the best. Hey, fucking bacon bread is boring and that makes you naughty I'm gonna start roller skating Then you spend your time inside drinking red wine and masturbating Naughty! 11 months of the year my job is just to watch you So next year find something fucking entertaining to do I couldn't give a fuck and you can check on that twice, baby And if I hear you complaining about me I slap you harder than I slap that massive elf nerd, Jeffrey Fuck you, Santa No, fuck you, Jeffrey I'm the big boy, so I get what I like, baby And what I like is telling every boy and girl in the whole wide world That they're very, very, very not the we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. You and I have the courage to tell our elected officials that we want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right. Well, well, well. How the hell are you, folks? That's right, I'm back. And uh, it's good to be back after a long month and a half of being gone. Uh, had some family business that I had to take care of up north, uh, up in Yankee land. We are smack dab up against the end of the year here in December. Uh, Christmas is but a few days away. And, uh, and then blammo, we're into the new year, right? Uh, and it's been one hell of a year, too, uh, as you know. 
things move fast in the world. And it's all we can do to just keep up with the goings-on in this country, let alone the world. Uh, but we're going to do what we always do, folks. We're going to buckle up and hold on to our butts. Because the journey that we take is sometimes a winding road. But the destination is always worth the ride. I'm Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame. Uh, and once again, I'm here to render my righteous rhetoric for your reception. As a regular guy, exercising the undisputed right of free expression of opinions and facts right here, down on the ground, in the good old USA. We're going to talk about all the things and the stuff that's happening right here in the good old USA and in the world. So uh, without further ado and without further delay, let's dance. And as you damn well know uh, from listening to my show, um, I'm pretty agitated about things, okay? Uh, especially here lately. You know, we, we've got the, the, the Hunter Biden scandal, which leads directly to Joe Biden, uh, the impeachment inquiry that's going through, uh, and uh, we have the pro-Hamas protests uh, at these college, uh, colleges and universities, uh, you know, these, these, these dumb kids in college that don't seem to know the first thing about what this conflict is about between Israel and Gaza. Uh, we have, uh, here recently, we had uh, the college presidents of MIT, UPenn, and Harvard um, testify before a committee uh, in Congress. Uh, these are college presidents that have enabled and supported anti-American calls for the genocide of Jews, okay, and that whole thing. Uh, hell, I'm even pissed at the Book of Face for all the pro-Hamas and Islamic bullshit that they're flooding my feed with. Um, I've been pretty vocal about that. They're doing it on purpose, okay? I mean, October 8th, 9th, somewhere around there, I mean, straight up pro-Hamas bullshit on my feed on Facebook, and, and, and I am convinced more now than ever before that there is an entire team at Facebook that is dedicated, tasked with the mission to screw with me. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, the pro-Islamic, uh, pro-Hamas uh, crap that I've been getting on my news feed in Facebook has just been... It's been aggravating, to say the least. Uh, let's see. What else we got here going on in the, in the country here? Um, oh, did you hear about uh, the state of Washington? This is another one of these climate change bullshits. Uh, Washington, the state of Washington, is attempting to outlaw gas-powered leaf blowers. <laughs> this, this, is, this is straight-up communist bullshit. A bullshit? They start out with one or two things, you know, uh, that hit you right at home. You know, they're trying to do it with cars. Uh, some states have, have already passed legislation that are going to outlaw gas-powered cars in like 10 or 20 years. Uh, now you've got the state of Washington attempting to outlaw gas-powered leaf blowers. 
This is straight up communist climate change horseshit. Okay. Uh, And I'm telling you what happens there can happen here. Okay. Um, What else is going on? Oh, uh, here's another one. Here's another one that ought to piss you off. Uh, You know, you know how the left always talks about, uh, you know, they they they're against racism. They're against segregation, discrimination. Well, (laughs) apparently uh, the city of Boston and its mayor uh, didn't get that memo. Michelle Wu, the mayor of Boston, in the spirit of cohesion and unity and Christmas, sent out an email inviting her staff and office people and other elected members of the Boston government there, uh, invited them to a Christmas party. There was only one problem. None of the white people were supposed to get that email. That's right. It was an invitation to elected people of color only. But one of her staff members accidentally sent the invite out to everyone to include the white members, seven white members of, of, of uh, elected individuals. Uh, to Boston government. About 15 minutes after this email was sent, another email went out and uh, apologized for the screw-up, going on to say that the party was only for people of color, and, uh, you know, certainly we don't mean to hurt your feelings, but sorry, you can't come. (laughs) Screw you. You're white. When asked about this, uh, and if she were concerned that this might be seen as, as divisive, racially divisive. Michelle Wu, who is unsurprisingly a Harvard-educated Democrat, said this. No, I mean, um, again, this is a a group that has been in place for many, many years. We want to be a city where everyone's identity is embraced and that there are spaces and communities that we can help support. And then she goes on to say, you know, uh, uh, just yesterday, we hosted in the city our official Hanukkah celebration, and uh, we've also had tree lightings. <laughs> yeah, except at, at the tree lightings and the Hanukkah celebration, no one is excluded for their skin color. Everyone of every race can come to those events. And here we have an event, a Christmas party, uh, that excludes people based on their skin color. And here's the other thing, folks. She tries to justify this thing by saying that it's been around for many, many years. Well, stupid. There was this thing that, that, that we called slavery that was in this country. And it was around for many, many years. You know? Uh, there was institutionalized racism in this country for years. We fought a war over all of this. Because it was wrong then, and it's wrong now. But in Michelle Wu world... Segregation, discrimination, and racism practiced by certain people invited to specific events, that's okay. Because, it, you know, it's been around for many, many years, this kind of party, right? The white people just, you know, they weren't supposed to know. So that's where the real mistake is. Michelle Wu is a racist. And that's why she can't see that it was wrong. You know, what was wrong 200 years ago is also wrong today. This is your Democrat party today, folks. They make excuses for everything. They allow anything as long as it aligns with their purposes. And their hypocrisy knows no bounds. You know, Boston, you know, you're, you're known for the Tea Party. 
You know, you used to be the tip of the spear for rebellion against tyranny and bullshit like this. You really got to get your shit together, Boston. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. Now, Michelle Wu, who is a Harvard alumna, uh, has backed and battled Harvard University President Claudine Gay amid the backlash over Gay's discriminatory testimony to Congress the other day regarding the Ivy League institution's response to the rise of anti-Semitism on their campus. Claudine Gay failed to definitively state that calling for the genocide of Jews would be a violation of Harvard's harassment and bullying policies. You know, it's not just harassment and bullying. This, this, is, this is 1939, like Nazi shit. In an interview on uh, Boston Public Radio, Michelle Wu said that she supports the statements and the actions of Harvard Corporation, which has desire, decided not to fire Claudine Gay, uh, Harvard's first black president. Thanks for telling me. I, I really needed to know that. Uh, following the combative congressional hearing, she's quoted as saying, I also have a sense of what it's like to take just a short clip out of a very hostile, long situation. Well, that's bullshit. If you know anything about the uh, about Claudine Gay uh, and the presidents of uh, MIT and UPenn uh, and their congressional hearing testimony, they, they would absolutely not say that uh, calling for the genocide of Jews on their campuses was a violation of all their policies regarding harassment, bullying, uh, and safety and all this, you know, all these other policies that they have. They would, they simply would not say that calling for the genocide of Jews was wrong. Well, that's just wrong, folks. You know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But this is what you got in your colleges these days. Okay? It's wrong. And these presidents of these colleges and Ivy League universities, they're, they're, they're enabling these college kids... Uh, and a lot of them aren't even, you know, from this country. Uh, but there's a hell of a lot of them that are, okay? And, and they're allowed to go out there, and they're allowed to call for the genocide of Jews, which tells you a lot about what this conflict between Israel and Hamas and so-called Palestinians, uh, it, it tells you what it's really about. It's not about uh, the governance of a land mass. It's about a people that want to eradicate Israel, that want to eradicate the Jews. But I mean, you know, half these kids out there that are, that are protesting for Hamas, which is essentially what they're doing by calling for the genocides of Jews, uh, they, they, don't, they don't even know the history. They don't know the history. They're dumb as stumps. Okay, and in in a way, it's really not even their fault. It's it's the fault of our education system, and I have a lot to say about that. If you know, if you know anything about what I've said about education in the past, um, so you know, as long as we're talking about that, let's talk about this Israel Hamas uh, so called Palestinian conflict that these college kids don't know anything about. As you remember, on October 7th, Hamas, as well as Palestinians, so-called uh, Gazan civilians, uh, crossed over the border into Israel and conducted an, an, an attack against Israel. Uh, and 
they killed innocent men, women, children, babies. Uh, they beheaded somewhere around 40 babies. Uh, there, were, there were infants that were baked in ovens as Hamas raped their mothers. Okay? Uh, just the, 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 the most atrocious, uh, heinous uh, action that, that you can think of. This is what Hamas did. Uh, they kidnapped uh, a hell of a lot of uh, Israelis and Jews uh, and people of other uh, countries. Uh, they kidnapped them uh, and brought them back into Gaza and are still holding a hell of a lot of them. Okay, They've killed a bunch of them, all right? but they're, they're holding a lot of them. Hamas and Palestinians, so-called, I say that because Palestine isn't a real country. This is what they did. And, you know, uh, these college kids, you know, the best that they can come up with is that this is because they, they did this because they're being oppressed by Israel. Okay. That Israel is occupying Palestine. All right. Which is complete horseshit. Okay. The fact is, Israel has always belonged to the Jews, okay? Well before any Arab, well before any Greek, Roman, or Muslim, or Crusader, Israel belonged to the Jews, okay? So if, if this is about land, and, you know, what's, what's the history, okay? Well, well buckle up, okay? Um, most of what scholars know about Israel's ancient history comes from the Hebrew Bible, okay? And I can hear some of these leftists now that I've gotten into it with, uh, you know, talking, oh, you, you got to go to the Bible. Well, you know, Bible history is substantiated by secular history, okay? So uh, you might want to hold on to your butts, okay? Now, according to the text uh, from Hebrew Bible, Okay, uh, Israel's origins can be traced back to Abraham. Okay, and this is the man who's considered the father of both uh, Judaism uh, through his son Isaac and Islam through his son Ishmael. Okay, now Abraham's descendants uh, had been enslaved by the Egyptians for hundreds of years before settling in Canaan, which is which is approximately the region of modern day Israel. Okay, now the word Israel comes from Abraham's grandson, okay, Jacob, all right? Uh, God renamed Jacob Israel, okay? Now, this history, okay, started some 4,000 plus years ago, okay, when God told Abraham to go from his home in the land of the Chaldeans, probably somewhere in Iraq, all right, uh, and told him to travel to a land that God would give to him and his descendants, and it was from there that God would make a people for himself, uh, a people that would be a witness to himself, to all the nations of the world. Okay? Uh, and as part of the deal, uh, these descendants were given the land of Canaan for all time. All right? Uh, in the Bible, it says that God said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, that's biblical history, okay? Um, 
you know, once they got into the land of Canaan, into what was to be called Israel, okay, they had uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, okay, you had uh, tribes, you know, like Judah, uh, Benjamin, Dan, and others, um, the, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, and, and they inhabited this land that God had given them, okay? Now, this land that God had given them, okay, uh, is currently known as Israel, all right? It was known as Israel then, it's known as Israel now, uh, and it included the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights. And just as it was back then, uh, it is today. Israel is not occupying Palestinian land, okay? There wasn't a Palestine. Well, then you, you move forward into time, into history. Uh, you have King David, King Solomon, okay? King, King David ruled Israel around 1000 B.C. His son, who is uh, King Solomon, uh, is credited with building the first holy temple in Jerusalem, uh, 931 BC, uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Okay. This was known as the divided kingdom of Israel. You had Israel in the North and Judah in the South around 722 BC, uh, Assyrians invaded and destroyed the Northern kingdom of Israel. Okay. In 568 BC, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the first temple. And of course, this was replaced by a second temple, uh, somewhere in 516 BC. But for the next several centuries, okay, the land of Israel was conquered and ruled by various groups, including the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Arabs, the Seljuk Turks, the Crusaders, Egyptians, Mamluks, Islamists. That, 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 was, that was Israel's history, okay? And during this time, all right, with these other empires, uh, no mention of Palestine, okay, until you get to the Romans. In 70 AD, the Romans committed a genocide against the Jews, all right, in, the, in, their, in their quest for world domination, okay? Uh, they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and declared Israel uh, was to be no more. Okay, and to that end, the Romans renamed the land of Israel, principally Judea, as Palestina, okay, or, or what we would call Palestine. All right, now, incidentally, if you look at the map, if you look at the old maps, Palestina, okay, or Philistia, which is what it was called prior to that, uh, that region, okay, uh, it, it encompassed what we know as Gaza today. Okay, now the Romans did this to separate the Jews uh, and their identity with the land. Uh, it, it, that, that was their attempt to separate the Jewish people from the land of Israel. Okay, now secular history uh, substantiates this. All right, um, you, you have the Roman rule. Okay, you have, have the Roman period of time from approximately 63 BC to 313 AD. Okay, uh, the secular outline is this uh, 63 BC, Jerusalem is captured by uh, by the Romans. Okay, around 37 BC to 4 BC, Herod, the Roman uh, vassal, rules the land of Israel. Uh, he enlarged the Temple Mount and rebuilt the temple. Okay, around 4 BC, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. All right. <clears throat> 
27 to 30 AD, you have, you know, the time of Jesus. Okay. 30 AD, Jesus is crucified. All right. In 66 AD, you have the Jewish revolt against the Romans. In 70 AD, that's when the Romans destroyed uh, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem and attempted to rename Israel. In 132 AD, you have the Bar Kokhba revolt. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the Roman emperor, Hadrian, uh, destroyed Jerusalem and rebuilds, uh, renaming uh, Jerusalem, Alia Capitolina. Okay, uh, this is this is a pagan city uh, that was rebuilt. Okay, or built over Jerusalem. Okay, uh, many of the holy sites are preserved in Israel, but uh, but people put pagan shrines on them. Okay, then you have the Byzantine period. Okay, this is the Eastern Roman Empire. Okay, three thirteen to six fourteen A.D. Uh, you got uh, Emperor Constantine, who recognizes Christianity. And then you have the Persian period, which was 614 A.D. to 628 A.D. Uh, and in 614 A.D., uh, the Persians conquer Israel. Okay, Many churches and monasteries uh, are destroyed at about that time. All right? At 628 A.D., the Holy Land is recaptured by the Byzantines. Then you have the, the Arab period, 638 A.D. to 1099 A.D. In 638 A.D., uh, Muslim Arab conquest of Israel was completed, the Holy Land. Okay, uh, It's ruled by caliphs from Damascus, okay? uh, then from Baghdad, and then from Egypt. Okay? Now, many educated people say that Islam was created in 635 A.D., this would be the seventh century, all right. Uh, Muhammad was born in 570 A.D. Okay, he died in 632 A.D. All right, during his lifetime, uh, he created the Quranic verses, uh, beginning somewhere around 610 A.D. Okay, um, he, I, you know, I, I don't know if he actually wrote the Quranic verses. I know that there were scribes that that wrote down what he was teaching, okay, and, and, and the things that he said, uh, and they compiled all these writings uh, somewhere around 655 A.D., okay? Uh, and, and that's where we get the Quran, all right? Uh, but as you will notice, Islam was hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years after the creation of Israel. In 691 AD, uh, where the first and second temples uh, had been located uh, in Jerusalem, uh, the Dome of the Rock was built by Caliph uh, Abdel Malik. Okay? Um, then you have the Crusader period in history, 1099 AD to 1291 AD. All right? Uh, in 1099... Uh, crusaders or, or Catholic armies, okay, from Rome, uh, conquered Jerusalem and many parts of Israel, but not completely, okay? Uh, in 1147 AD, the Second Crusade arrives in the Holy Land, okay? In 1187, this is the, uh, the Crusader army was destroyed by a Muslim leader called Saladin, okay? 
and of course, this leads to the collapse of the Crusader Kingdom. Okay, uh, in twelve sixty five, you had the uh, the Mamelukes. Okay, led by Sultan Baybars, uh, he conquers the Holy Land. Uh, twelve seventy A.D., the final Crusade arrives, and uh, everybody's massacred. All right. Uh, in 1291 AD, the last, crusade, uh, the last crusader stronghold uh, is taken, and uh, that, that effectively ends crusade rule, okay? Then you have the Mamluk uh, period, all right? This is uh, what a lot of people will call the Muslim period, all right? This went on from 1291 to 1517 AD, all right? 1291, uh, Muslim rule begins, Okay, in 1333 A.D., the Franciscan Order uh, was established in Jerusalem, and uh, and they take care of all the holy places and and all the pil- pilgrim sites and all of that. By the end of the Middle Ages, the country's urban centers were virtually in ruins, and most of Jerusalem was abandoned. And the small Jewish communities uh, that were there, uh, they they were in poverty. Okay, then we get to uh, the Ottoman period, all right, 1517 A.D., 1917 A.D. Uh, in 1517, uh, following the Ottoman conquest uh, in that year, uh, the land was divided into four districts, and uh, it was attached administratively to the province of Damascus, uh, and they were ruled from Istanbul, okay? In 1520, uh, Suleiman, uh, the Magnificent, apparently, uh, rebuilds the city walls of Jerusalem. In 1799, Napoleon Bonaparte invades Israel, uh, but he's forced to leave. He, he failed, okay? Then you had, um, you know, uh, large-scale immigration to Israel from Russia. Uh, another one that happened in 1904 uh, from Russia and Poland. Then you get to the British period of time, which was from 1917 to 1948 A.D., all right? Um, British Foreign Minister Lord Balfour uh, issued on November 2nd, 1917, the so-called Balfour Declaration, which gave official support for the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, okay, with the commitment not to be prejudiced against the rights of non-Jewish communities, all right? In 1947, the United Nations approved the partition of Israel into a separate Jewish an Arab state on November 29th, 1947. Jewish and Arab states. Not a Jewish and Palestinian state. In 1948, on the day when the British mandate in Palestine expired, the state of Israel was instituted on May 14th, 1948 by the Jewish National Council under the presidency of David Ben-Gurion. From 1948 to 1949, uh, the Arabs who didn't like any of this shit, uh, went to war with Israel, okay? They, they, they refused to accept the newly established state of Israel one day after the creation of Israel. Now, a lot of people stop at 1948 and 1949, and they, and they, they, they try to convince you that Israel was only created in 1948 or 1949. But as you just heard, the history of Israel uh, is well before, <laughs> centuries before 1949, okay? Uh, 
So when you hear these leftists talk about how Israel was artificially created in 1948 and 1949, that's just, that's just hogwash, okay? Now, all you pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian protesters and, and uh, people out there, uh, you'll note that e- even if you begin your history at 1948, okay, if, if, if that's where you begin the history of Israel, all right, uh, you'll note that the two-state solution had been proposed in 1948, 1949, okay? Uh, and the Arabs in that region uh, didn't want to have any of that, okay? They wanted to destroy Israel, okay? Now, remember now, if you look at the map of the proposed two-state solution at that time, Israel had like 20% of all of Israel, somewhere around there. The Arabs had everything else. And what they wanted to do was to annihilate the Jews, eradicate the state of Israel, and take it all for themselves. That's what they wanted. They didn't want any Jews. I mean, you know... (laughs) Uh, from 1939 to the end of World War II, uh, you know, we already had uh, an evil regime try to eliminate the Jews by killing off uh, six million some Jews uh, in Europe, okay, the, the Nazi regime of Germany. Uh, and so when this proposal to give the Jews their own land, it was, that was because we had just witnessed a full-on genocide in Europe at the hands of, of Nazi Germany, okay? Uh, and some people would say that this is uh, part of prophecy in the Bible, where God promises that they will return to their land, which, of course, was there thousands of years before. Okay, long before any Arab, long before any Muslim. Okay, uh, but no, the, the two state solution where Israel had this little sliver of land in the entire region, no, the Arabs didn't want any of that. Okay, and so that's where the war uh, against Israel in modern times, 20th century, uh, that's where, where all of that started. All right, you'll notice that it was Arab states that were proposed alongside a Jewish state, not a Palestinian state. And there are no Palestinian leaders, kings, rulers. You can't name a single Palestinian leader before all of this or even after. So moving like the wind here. In 1956, you have the Suez Canal crisis uh, where Israel had to go to war with uh, Egypt, um, kicked their butts there uh, with the help of the British and the French. Then you get to the 1967 Six-Day War, okay, when Egypt tried to choke out Israel uh, by closing off the Straits of Tehran, or Tehran, or however you pronounce that, T-I-R-A-N, okay? Uh, basically, it was, a, it was a shipping lane, I believe, uh, and Israel had to go to war with Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq, okay? 
<clears throat> they kicked their butts then, all right, in, in, in six days. <laughs> e- Egypt was blockading Israel, okay? Uh, Egyptian radio broadcasts were talking about genocide of the Jews, okay? And uh, the Jews said, no, we're, we're not doing any of that. Uh, and they considered the blockade casus uh, uh, belli, okay? Now, what, what's a casus belli? Uh, this is what's known as an occasion for war. It's an act or an event that provokes uh, war or is used to justify a war. And Israel had one uh, in, in this blockade, okay? Um, Israel kicked Egypt's, Syria's, Jordan, and uh, Iraq's butts in that war, okay? Um, then you have the 1973 Yom, Yom Kippur War. Uh, that was in 1973. Uh, Syria and Egypt launched a surprise attack against Israel. After initial successes, uh, Israel managed to turn it around uh, and cross the Suez into Egypt and uh, went after Cairo. Okay, now uh, it only stopped because of the intervention of the U.S. and Russia. Okay, in 1978, the Camp David Accord was signed by Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I have a, I have a hard time with these names. Menachem Begin. Uh, an Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, okay? Uh, that was in 1978 at uh, Camp David in the U.S., okay? Israel had agreed to withdraw from the occupied Sinai Peninsula, okay? In 1979, the Israeli-Egypt uh, Peace Treaty was signed, uh, and, and that really began uh, the decades-long process whereby Israel would eventually end up making peace with no less than six Arab countries. But during that time, and and right up to this time, uh, there's a hell of a lot of Arabs out there, hell of a lot of Muslims out there uh, that don't want any peace. They don't want Israel to exist. Okay? And, And that's where we are today. You've had organizations during this time, like the Palestinian Liberation uh, Front or organization, the PLO, okay, Uh, which was run by Yasser Arafat, who, incidentally, during the 90s, Israel had made overture after overture, okay, and the United States had proposed uh, and made many proposals for a two-state solution between uh, Gaza or the so-called Palestinians uh, in Israel, okay? And Israel would concede a huge swaths of land in order to make peace with uh, the PLO, uh, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, you know, and, and in this time, you're getting these terrorist organizations that are just starting to arise, like the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, uh, and Israel, time after time after time, would propose peace, would give up land, and f- said, you know, if, you'll be, if, if you will make peace with us, then we will give you all this land. We'll, you can have it, all right? And we'll just have our little sliver over here, okay? And time after time after time, Yasser Arafat 
And the rest of the Arabs over there uh, had refused. They would not do it. Why? Because it's not about land. It's about eradicating the Jews. That's what it's always been about. The Jews have proposed and offered land that is rightly theirs throughout history to make peace with the Arabs and the Muslims. And yet they will not have it. All they want is the annihilation of the Jews. Gaza is no different. You know, Israel made peace with six Arab nations here. Okay? Have you ever heard any of these supporters of Palestine and Hamas suggest peace or a two-state solution? You know, in order to stop the violence and to coexist, as they say. Has any of these fuckers suggested a return to a two-state solution? Nope. Because they don't want that. Israel got out of Gaza in 2006. Okay? The so-called Palestinians got Palestina, Philistia, the region of Gaza. And yet they still were not appeased. They continued to kill Jews. More than 82% of the so-called Palestinian people voted Hamas for their government. They supported a murderous regime. And more than 82% of them thought that not enough was being done to annihilate the Jews. Look that one up. The Jews built a fence between Gaza and Israel, and still Palestinians waged their war and killed innocent Jews. Palestinians don't want a two-state solution. They don't want an Arab state. Okay? Iran, which is one of the largest Islamic states, okay, uh, you know, which, of course, the U.S. enriched through disastrous policies and about six billion bucks. You know, Iran has an entire country, an Islamic republic. Do they want a two-state solution? Nope. They just want to kill the Jews. So they propagate the lies and the evil that is Hamas and this so-called Palestinian cause. You listen to my last podcast. Uh, And maybe I'll attach some of that to the end of this podcast. But you listen to my last podcast, I pretty much spelled it out for you. Like it was like the day of October 7th, the day of the attack. You know, you young idiots out there at these college universities, okay, out there tearing down photos of the kidnapped, okay, and the missing in Israel, gathering in mobs and stalking Jewish kids and teachers, at our colleges and universities, threatening the lives of Jewish people and calling for the genocide of an entire people by chanting from the river to the sea. Do you, do, do you know any of the history I just went through? Do you even want to know? You know, these college idiots that claim that the Palestinians are fighting for freedom, uh, you know, from occupation and oppression. Do any of these idiots know the history of Israel and her people? 
Do any of you know what you're really supporting and what your so-called professors are teaching? Our, our education system is crap, okay, uh, in the colleges and the universities. And I'll tell you, it's coming on down to local education as well, okay? I'll get into some of that later, okay? But, but, but these universities, these colleges, they're teaching Marxist communist ideology that separates people by category of oppressed and oppressor, victim and victimizer, And the education that you kids don't get or don't care enough about allows these so-called professors and freedom groups to manipulate you into a blind hatred of a people who simply want to survive and live in peace. You know, you talk, you know, I I get this all the time on the the book of face, okay? These these idiots that want to cross swords with me about all of this. You know, they, they talk about the response of Israel in Gaza against Hamas and supporters of that terrorist group. And, and, and they call it genocide, all right? They cry about the children of Palestine. My Facebook is flooded with it. You know, these, these kids of Palestine, uh, these are the same kids who are taught to hate Jews on day one, okay? They don't get their diaper changed before somebody's telling them to hate the Jews. That's just a fact, You should see their education system or what it was before Israel decided to respond to their murderous regime. You know, they cry about the Palestinian children who are having to live in ruins, in war zones. The Palestinian children who have become the victims of a war that their parents started. You know, the Palestinian children who incidentally still have their heads attached and weren't baked in ovens. You know, the Palestinian kids that weren't cut out of their mother's bellies. All these things that Palestinian Hamas did and the Palestinian people support. More than 82% of the Palestinian people, I might add. You know, you cry and whine and protest and stalk and call for the eradication of the Jewish state and you can't even tell me what river you're talking about when you chant from the river to the sea. You got more information at the tips of your fingers than any other generation before you. And yet, you choose to ignore it. You don't use it. You prefer to make your bullshit TikTok videos applauding these pro-Hamas college idiots for tearing down missing posters, for mobbing Jewish people and forcing them to hide from you while you call for their annihilation and murder. You march in mobs, tearing down American flags and replacing them with Palestinian flags on the American Day of Independence. And just an aside here. Do any of you find it strange that the day after Hamas invaded Israel, that these masses of protesters already had their brand new flags in the thousands They already had their signs painted. Did you see how fast these mobs were formed? You leftists out there, you're not going to win this one, okay? You pro-Hamas idiots, let me get one thing clear with you. Palestine is Hamas, and Hamas will die in Gaza. Israel will live All you people that call for the annihilation of Israel and support Hamas and call it the cause of freedom. 
get one thing clear. No cause. To include the cause of freedom, no cause can be called righteous. If in your quest, in your cause, you justify the murder of innocent people, the rape of innocent women, and the beheading of babies, you're nothing more than murderous Islamic rags. And because there's justice, your day of reckoning is coming. And you college kids out there, you better wake up and get the real history and story of Israel. The Jewish history throughout time has been one of life, establishment, hardship, perseverance as a people in the face of extermination throughout all time. And while you're at it, kids, get acquainted with the real story of America. Okay? There's a reason why America is the strongest ally of Israel and why we're not really an ally of Iran, despite what this administration is doing. Because what you're doing now is revealing yourself to be the very thing that you claim to fight against, the very thing that you claim not to be. You might as well put on a swastika armband. You might as well shout Zeke Heil with what you're doing and what you're supporting, okay? You either wake up or you can damn sure bet that your day of reckoning is coming. And that's all I've got to say about that. Poo doggy. Uh, <laughs> you can tell that I'm pretty passionate about this subject, about this, this thing that's going on with this whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict. If you didn't notice, I'm pretty passionate about it. So, I'm going to take a break, uh, and I'm going to calm the hell down. <laughs> uh, and, um, and when I come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, some other things. Um, not sure what I'm going to talk about uh, just yet. I, I mentioned some things at the beginning of the show uh, about some of the <laughs> some of the idiocy uh, that's going on out there. Uh, but um, but yeah, let, let me let me take a break. Let me calm down. Let me get a cup of Cafe Du Monde. Okay, I need a cup of coffee to calm me down, if that's possible. All right, and um, and I'll be right back. Okay. Stay tuned, folks. If you're like me, and most Americans are, you drink coffee in the morning. Some of you might even drink it in the afternoon. And if you're really a connoisseur of the black gold, you even drink it before bed. But have you ever stopped to think just how important coffee can be to you? In America, people drink around 400 million cups of coffee each day. But I'll bet you didn't know that there are health benefits to drinking the bean juice. Here are surprising facts about drinking coffee. Drinking coffee boosts your energy levels. It may be linked to a lower risk of type 2 diabetes. Drinking coffee could support brain health. Now, although studies have turned up mixed results here, 
Some research suggests that coffee may help protect against certain neurodegenerative disorders. Drinking coffee may promote weight management, and God knows some of us need that. Drinking coffee is also linked to a lower risk of depression. It supports your heart. Now, some research shows that drinking coffee may benefit heart health. In fact, one review found that drinking three to five cups of coffee per day was tied to a 15% reduced risk of heart disease. Coffee is abundant in bioactive compounds that promote health. And according to dietary guidelines, three to five eight ounce cups of coffee per day can be part of a healthy diet. Drinking coffee also improves your mood. Now, I'm not one to tell you what coffee to drink, but there's only one coffee I drink when I need that jolt when I got a bolt in the morning. And that's why I recommend Cafe Du Monde Chicory Blend Coffee. It's a New Orleans blend served at the Cafe Du Monde located in the French market. That chicory adds just that bit of natural flavor that you like instead of that syrup shit that Starbucks pours into your brown sugar water on your way to work. So, make that first cup of hearty, earthy, caffeinated goodness from Cafe Du Monde in the morning. Nothing says get your ass in gear and enjoy your coffee while doing it, quite like Cafe Du Monde. Remember, if you got good bean, you got good coffee. And good coffee is Cafe Du Monde. This day is born a 
Yoo-hoo! I'll make you famous. Hey, did you hear about this? Uh, there was a group of uh, 40 interns at the White House who pushed a letter uh, to the president and vice president uh, pushing for a permanent ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. <laughs> it says, in part, uh, we, the undersigned, will no longer remain silent on the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people. We are Palestinian, Jewish, Arab, Muslim, Christian, Black, Asian, Latino, White, and queer. <laughs> hey, anybody want to tell them that Palestinians and Hamas pitches gay people off the top of tall buildings? Anybody want to tell them that? <laughs> this has Rashida Tlaib written all over it. Anybody heard from her lately? Anybody? Uh, I think the Democrats told her to uh, shut her friggin' mouth. Okay, because every time she opened her pie hole, uh, people would get pissed at her anti-American pro-Hamas bullshit. <laughs> when you're literally the voice of Hamas, you probably have no business being in office. And I think people, uh, I think they figured that out. So, uh, there's that. <laughs> Damn, these people are dumb. Yeah, this was the other day that uh, that they sent this letter to the president um, calling for the ceasefire uh, in Israel, calling for a permanent ceasefire. You know, <laughs> these people are complete morons. Since when does, does the U.S. tell its allies how to fight a war? Okay, in light of what Hamas did to innocent civilians in Israel, you know, when, when, when do we bully them and tell them how to fight a war. Any of our allies. And you know, these interns, okay, that are so sure of their position, they believe in it so much that they went ahead and sent this letter unsigned uh, in, in what to me is a clear demonstration of their arrogance, their ignorance, and cowardice. The letter in part says, we heed the voices of the American people and call on the administration to demand a permanent ceasefire. We're not the decision makers of today, but we aspire to be the leaders of tomorrow. And we will never forget how the pleas of the American people have been heard and thus far ignored. Well, that's utter horseshit. Okay? Like I said, this is nothing more than Rashida Tlaib's rhetoric written all over this. Okay? Uh, it, this is more of the attempt to continue her crusade against Israel from the safety of D.C. You know, the American people, you know, they know what's at stake here. Okay, and they know that Israel has every right to defend itself. And if you think you're going to bully Israel by micromanaging its response to murderous regimes and peoples and demanding that the president tell Israel to surrender before it wins the war against Hamas, then, you know, by God, I hope you're, you, you never become a leader of tomorrow. Okay, these, the, <laughs> these are the people that we have in the White House, folks. You know, these idiots were probably educated at Harvard or UPenn. The letter adds that while the interns were horrified by the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel, 
that, that launched this war, they opposed the brutal and genocidal response by the Israeli government, funded by our American tax dollars, which has killed over 14,000 innocent Palestinian civilians in Gaza, a large percentage of whom are children. This is, this is, you know, you love where we get, you know where they get these numbers? They get it from the uh, Gaza Health Ministry, all right? It's, it's Hamas. That's where they get these numbers, folks. I'm telling you, the, the stupidity of these people is a testament to the kind of bullshit that our colleges and universities, and quite frankly, even our local education systems, uh, are pushing. Okay, we've seen it over and over again in this country. You know, when, when, when do we lose our grip on reality? That's a question that more people and parents are asking these days when they see these dumbass kids uh, out of these colleges. And I think in large part, uh, the people are recognizing that education in America just isn't what it used to be. It's like these people have lost the ability to think through their words, and they're just parroting whatever feel-good mantra they're fed by the political and ideological left. There's no real thinking here. It's just outrage, right? I mean, look, people can be outraged about any issue they want to be. Okay, but but shouldn't shouldn't outrage be rooted in logic and common sense and reality? And like I said, these are these are the people that are in the White House now, folks. They're literally manipulating policy. And it shows in the statements that this administration has made accusing Israel of indiscriminate bombing. Oh, yeah. That's what Biden did. Biden literally accused Israel of indiscriminate bombing. The arrogance is stunning. It was reported recently that Israel and the United States uh, this past Tuesday uh, showed their sharpest public disagreement yet over the conduct and future of the war against Hamas as the two allies become increasingly isolated by calls for a ceasefire. Washington, D.C. expects the most intensive phase of Israel's war on Hamas in southern Gaza to be scaled back and become more targeted as soon as early January. You know, Joe Biden says that indiscriminate bombing in Gaza is costing Israeli support. Indiscriminate bombing? Israel is the only country that has been selective in targeting only known Hamas locations and trying to get the innocent Gazans out of the war zones. Indiscriminate bombing? You know, when, when you say indiscriminate, do you mean like crossing a border and entering homes and daycares, beheading babies, baking them in ovens while Palestinians rape and murder their mothers? Indiscriminate? Is that the kind of indiscriminate action you, you, you mean? What are you talking about? Indiscriminate bombing, genocide of innocent Gazans. What, are you crazy? Anyway, that, that's all I got to say about that. But uh, anyway, speaking of education in this, in this country, we have officially begun campaign season with regard to uh, the presidency. All right. But more importantly, uh, our local offices and elected positions in the county and the state. Okay. Uh, so far, I've been able to meet with two individuals that are running for office in North Carolina and in Stanley County. Uh, Brandon King for North Carolina House, 
to replace Wayne Sasser. Uh, and specifically with regard to education, the at-large school board seat in Stanley County candidate, Megan Almond. Now, <clears throat> Brandon King. Uh, I talked with him for a little bit uh, at Albemarle Outdoor Supply. Say that ten times. Um, he's running for North Carolina House District 67, which encompasses Montgomery and Stanley counties. Uh, and I believe he first got into politics, uh, into the arena of politics when he ran for county commissioner in Stanley County. Uh, he was sworn in into that office in 2022, uh, with 60% of the vote. That's, that's amazing. That's uh, Jesus. Of all the people that voted in Stanley County, he, he won 60% of that. <laughs> Damn. Uh, you know, and like, like I said, I had the opportunity to talk with Brandon. One of the things that I wanted to hear was what his position was on education in Stanley County and in North Carolina in general. Okay, I asked him what his platforms were. Uh, and without hesitation, he told me that, you know, uh, in, in order... His, his the things that he wanted to address were uh, entitlement programs, education, public services, you know, your fire departments, your law enforcement and EMS, uh, and the issue of the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, the, these, these were priorities for him uh, to address in this campaign. Uh, we had a really good discussion. Uh, and at the end of it all, uh, basically, his campaign and the reason that he's running uh, is the same reason he ran for county commissioner, all right? Uh, I, I, you know, running for the House, I think there was a lot of disappointment with, with uh, Wayne Sasser, okay? Uh, I think that people feel that, that Cody Honeycutt, who I, I think Sasser is supporting, uh, is just going to be another Wayne Sasser, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know anything about Cody Honeycutt or, or what his positions are. Uh, and I've never met the man. So, I'm, you know, I'm not up or down on Honeycutt, but I do feel pretty damn good about Brandon King, you know? Uh, I've just gotten the sense that, that, that people feel like there needs to be a change in representation, you know? King's view is that North Carolina and this district needs a representative that just won't cave on issues uh, that are important to people, in order to simply compromise with the other side, you know, uh, King's tired of, of, of status quo folks. And he aims to represent that view, which is people are tired of status quo and the betrayal that perpetuates status quo. So, uh, really good conversation with Brandon King. Um, I, I think he really genuinely wants to make a positive impact on, on these issues uh, and and be be a positive force for his district. I, I really get that sense from him. He's a genuine guy. He's a business owner. He's a regular working guy, you know, who finally got tired of the kind of people that that North Carolina has been putting into the house, you know. So, damn it, he's going to do something about it. Um, and I and I think he's going to be be a positive force here. Uh, he's got my support. Uh, with regard to education in the counties, uh, he's quoted as saying, our education system is a broken system. We don't show our educators the respect that they deserve or have earned. Well, I got, I got stuff to say about that, buddy. <laughs> uh, you know, he's right. He, he is right. 
Um, but as we have learned over the last few years, we also have educators and teachers uh, that don't deserve the kind of respect that they demand. You know, we've seen it. Look at libs of TikTok, for God's sake. Uh, he's going, he goes on to say, we must realize that our educators are where our doctors, our lawyers, our plumbers, our electricians, uh, or any other profession or career. Uh, that's where it all begins in our schools, in our education system. Without good schools, we are going to be a failing society. We put a lot of effort into our private and charter schools over the years, but very little effort into our public schools. Well, I've got something to say about that too. Uh, you know, we, we put a lot of the wrong kind of effort into our public schools. Uh, and parents are increasingly going to charter and private schools, paying extra uh, to get the results that their children ought to be getting, the education that their kids ought to be getting, you know. But, but essentially, he's right. You know, we haven't, we haven't done to our public schools what needs to be done. We've allowed the opposite uh, the detrimental to happen to our public school system. So he's absolutely correct in that assessment. Schools, education, uh, and our responsibility to it or our complacency with it will mean the difference between good governance or bad governance because schools are where it all starts, folks. You know, And in that regard, uh, I believe he's on par with Megan Almond. Now, Megan Almond... Uh, who is affiliated with the Republican Party, uh, ran for election to the Stanley County Board of Education to represent District 1 in North Carolina uh, way back in 22, 21 or 22. Uh, because from her perspective, she saw many issues that weren't being addressed, uh, nor was the public being given answers to questions about what was being spent and where the county was spending the money, the transparency issue. She also... Uh, like many other parents, was outraged that the board voted to force a mandate for masking during the COVID year uh, in our schools. Uh, and, it, you know, when I, when I learned how the board voted during that time, that, that's about the time when I first started paying attention to the board in this, in this county, uh, when I realized that they had voted to force masking in our schools. I was just like, yep. That's uh, that they're 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 revealing how ignorant they are about the issue. If you go back and you listen to my covid casts, okay, you'll you'll know why I think the way I do. But anyway, she had issues uh, with that, uh, with what children were being taught, what they weren't being taught, you know, as we all learned during the covid years, uh, what the schools were allowing in terms of philosophies and ideologies of the left trans ideologies, CRT, SEL, uh, all this stuff, right? And she decided to make a run and got on the ballot uh, in 2022. After a very challenging and contentious race, Megan Allman lost the race by only 67 votes. Not even half the county voted in that election. She only lost by 67 it's amazing for an out of nowhere candidate. You know what I mean? Uh, and here, here we are in 2023, 2024. She's back uh, and officially running for the at-large school board seat in Stanley County. Now, <clears throat> in case you're wondering, a member of the board uh, in the at-large seat 
has no specific duties unless they're assigned by the chairman of the board or the board committee, okay? But the seat has the same rights and the same responsibilities as all the other board members. So it's kind of, from my perspective, it's kind of a wild card seat. You know what I mean? Uh, and over the last few months, uh, I've been able to talk with Megan Almond uh, about the state of our schools and the school system in Stanley County and the education system uh, in general. I've known Megan for, oh God, a year, uh, about a year. And uh, uh, she's running on the same kind of message that, uh, that I talked about with, with Brandon King. Uh, status quo, right? The, the so-called experts on this board and the existing education system, uh, it needs an overhaul. And in order to fundamentally change how education is brought to our students and our school systems, we need to begin at the ground level. Uh, and, and this goes straight to budget transparency, folks. Transparency in the system. If the people don't understand how their money's being spent, okay, how can they know how to vote on a particular issue that affects our schools and our students? Oh, they can see the results of these votes, good or bad. Uh, and, and, and they can see where the taxpayer revenue is spent after it's been spent. Uh, and all too often, the people are blindsided by irresponsible, less than transparent budgeting. Have you ever seen the budget report for the school board uh, and for the county? I, I, <laughs> I'm convinced that it's typed and written uh, so that it confuses the taxpayer. Okay? It, it's... <laughs> it's like reading Egyptian hieroglyphics. I mean, I can understand it. I mean, I, you know, I can understand a lot of it, but there's, there's a lot of uh, things in the, in the report that I'm like, what is this? You know, how am I supposed to read this? How am I supposed to translate this? Uh, and that's a huge problem. If the taxpayer doesn't understand how things are, are being done with regard to their taxpayer money, then how can they, how can they vote responsibly for issues? Uh, the issue of community schools versus super schools, uh, school consolidation is another issue that Megan, uh, is starting to talk about. All right. Uh, I think it's something that, uh, that this board, uh, wanted to kind of slip in on people, but, but Megan's starting to talk about it. Uh, community schools versus super schools. Ridgecrest school w was, was a school that had been basically shut down. It's been left to rot much to the displeasure of taxpayers in the county who wanted to keep their community schools open. And Ridgecrest was one of those. Okay. Um, you know, uh, busing issues. Uh, that issue is, is another issue that parents are pretty upset about. And the fact that we can't seem to get bus drivers because we don't have the budget. Okay. According to the school board, uh, we don't have the budget to increase their pay is another issue. Okay. Now, to be fair, I think the, vo the, the board voted to raise the pay, not only of the bus drivers, but everybody across the board. Okay. Because, you know, we have to be fair. Right. Um, but to say that, you know, we didn't have the budget to increase bus drivers pay. Uh, you know, when the board, when the board votes uh, a $30,000 raise to the current superintendent, uh, adds 30 grand to an already inflated salary. Uh, you don't always have to wonder where the money's going, folks. You can see where it went. Uh, and it damn sure didn't go to busing right away. Um, 
<laughs> There's also the issue of what our children are being taught. Megan's talking a lot about that. Uh, you know, what they're being taught, by whom they're being taught, what they're not being taught, and where, these, where, where the curriculum and lesson plans come from. That's, that's a big issue, and I think that's something that parents worry about, and, I, and, and Megan's talking about it. Uh, you know, look, this is, this is precisely why parents are seeking alternatives to the public education system, these issues, okay, and a whole slew of others, okay, uh, and, and they're asking the question these days. If what we're doing now doesn't seem to be working for our public schools and our public education system, uh, and things are only getting worse, okay, especially when you have a less than 50% proficiency rating in reading and math in the state, uh, don't you think that it's time that we do something different? You know, shouldn't parents decide what, what, what's best for their children? And, and they've, they've said unanimously, uh, yes, parents decide. Uh, and that's why a lot of parents are increasingly enrolling their kids into private and charter schools. But, you know, they're still paying for, for, for a failing public school system, folks. You know, uh, shouldn't elected officials on this board uh, and in this state be trying to answer, you know, a lot of the questions that, that parents have and a lot of the concerns that parents have uh, with something more than a cry for more of your money? You know, something more than a tax increase to fund an increasingly failing system. You know, parents parents are asking that question, and Megan really wants to address those questions. Uh, that's precisely what she wants to do, you know, because she sees these issues. She understands them because she's had to live these issues, okay? She's had to live these concerns, okay? Uh, she hears these concerns from parents, from taxpayers, and quite frankly, she wants better answers than the ones that we've been getting. And she wants answers to the questions that we haven't been getting. You know what I mean? That, that haven't been answered. Uh, bottom line, status quo has done a pretty crappy job with communicating to parents. And I think that's what she wants to change. Uh, she talks about security. Uh, we spent a huge amount of money. This goes back to the budget again. We spent a huge amount of money on security systems for our schools, metal detectors. Uh, and these systems are collecting dust in our schools, okay? The money isn't, you know, it, the system isn't being utilized as was promised. It's wasted money. Uh, you know, just here recently, there was an incident in one of our schools, uh, Albemarle High School. There was a kid that was caught with a firearm uh, at Albemarle High School. Okay, the gun was found. Uh, they found the gun. Student was arrested. Um, we don't know why the student brought the gun or what he planned to do with it, but the gun made it into the school, and that's because the metal detectors aren't being used. Okay, and there are reasons for that, and some that I can actually understand, but seriously, we spent a lot of money on that system, and we're not using it. So there has to be a better way. You know, Megan Allman released a video here not long ago. You can find it on the Book of Face, okay, Facebook. Uh, go to Megan Allman for school board on Facebook, and you'll see it, okay? You'll, you'll, you'll have to scroll down maybe a few, but you'll find the video. Uh, this video is the first of many that she's going to be releasing. And it's really the tip of the iceberg with regard to our education system uh, and Stanley County schools, now, like I said, I've known Megan for, for about a year, maybe a little less than a year. 
Uh, and I know that she knows that she's not going to be able to do everything that, she, that, that we need to have done in one term. Quite frankly, uh, we got a school board that I believe is made up of idiots, Democrats in Republican clothing, okay? Uh, she's going to have a tough road to hoe in figuring out how things work and what needs to be done and getting the answers that needs to be got, okay? Uh, and what it is that the parents and people of Stanley County are having to deal with, you know, like the busing issue. You know, I talk about the busing issue a lot. There was this one mom, I think her name was Ginger Whitley. Uh, she showed up to like several public meetings, uh, board meetings here uh, in uh, Albemarle. And she was talking about the, the, the busing issue. Her district didn't have any buses going to it, right? Uh, and, and it was causing a lot of heartache for parents in that district. Uh, and, and, you know, it's difficult enough to get parents to attend these board meetings. But here she was for several of these meetings uh, after not getting any answers or attention to the issue through emails and phone calls. Uh, you know, she started to come to these meetings. And uh, at one of these meetings, she just excoriated the board for ignoring the district, for ignoring the issue, for not having any, you know, for not having any solutions to the issue. And I was there for one of these meetings. And uh, <laughs> it was it was fireworks, folks. Um, you know, these meetings, you only get three minutes to articulate a problem. Uh, but but you get more than three minutes if you want to praise board members uh, with fluff, okay? Uh, this mom, this, this Whitley, she admonished the board at this one meeting for ignoring the issue of busing or not having any solutions to the, to the problem. And can you believe that <laughs> the board member's response to this mom was to scold her, to wag his finger at her, yelling at her, you know, saying, what would you have us do? What we can't get people to come to drive the buses. We can't get people to come work in Stanley County. What do you want us to do? What solutions do you bring, Mom? Just, just, <laughs> just a reprehensible response to this mom. And, uh, of course, this board member was none other than Dr. Rufus Leffler, the current at-large seat representative. Uh, I was there, and I watched this guy. And uh, I was kind of like, you know, that's why the people elected you, dumbass. You know, to have answers, to find solutions, to discuss the, the issue with the parent for more than three minutes. Okay. And, and, and this is what you do. You yell at the parent. You know, so much for your, for your doctor status, so much for your college educated representative there. You know, the guy was a total, yeah, I mean, it was a clown show, you know, total clown shoes, this, this Leffler, you know. Uh, you know, we, we have board members in this county who have publicly said that, you know, this system is crumbling and we're going to have to raise taxes on the people of Stanley County. That was Dustin Lisk, by the way. Uh, and, and of course, this reveals to me that, you know, so much for, you know, whatever education he had. Uh, but it also reveals to me that he's nothing more than a Democrat in Republican clothing, folks. He, he really is. I don't know how the GOP went with this guy. Uh, except to say that, again, rip, you know, Democrats in Republican clothing, okay? 
So, you know, Megan Almond, okay, as a mother and as a candidate, you know, she sees this kind of behavior. She sees this kind of thing. uh, And she's recognized for a long time, as you have, that things must change. Because what happens in other school systems uh, can happen here, folks. We see it on the news all the time. And as if, if we as parents, as taxpaying citizens of Stanley County, don't recognize that it's up to us to alter the course of our education systems in North Carolina and in Stanley County, things are only going to get worse. And you're going to be paying for it, folks. You know? But uh, check out our videos, folks. There's going to be more coming. And, and you're going to like what you hear. All right? Megan Allman for school board. Okay? On the book of face. Uh, check out the videos that are coming. All right. There's already one there and there should be another one coming soon. Uh, I firmly believe after talking with, with Megan for all these months, that woman, you give her half a chance. She's going to shake things up. And I believe she's going to be an inspiration to people for running for board seats in the future, you know, to take control of their children's futures and their destinies. You know, the one thing that I know that Megan worries about is, you know, will the people of Stanley County recognize that this election is one of the most pivotal elections for this country and for this county? You know, will the people participate in the numbers that we need them to participate to change the course of our county and the state of North Carolina education systems? You know, people hear it all the time. This is the most pivotal, most important election that you could ever vote in. Well, I can tell you, folks, this one is. And if you don't start paying attention to the one institution that directly affects you, your children, your towns and counties, your state, and this republic, things are going to stagnate. They're going to get worse. And you're going to be paying for it. And your kids are going to suffer for it. You're going to be directly responsible for what happens from here on out, folks as you have been from the very start. It all begins with our schools and education system, folks. It begins with you. Everything begins with you, and everything begins with our children. We need a representative that understands that, and I think Megan Allman is that representative. There's going to be one voice in this race, and it's going to be your voice, the people's voice, parents' voices. That's going to mean the difference between success and failure for this county, for this education system. And it's on us to make the changes and elect someone who lives our life and understands what your determined will is. It's on us, folks. And that's why I'm voting for Megan Almond, if you haven't figured it out. Go check out our page, folks. The message is there, okay? Megan Almond for school board on the book of face. And that's all I have to say about that. But of course, as you know, that's not going to be all I have to say about that. (laughs) I always have something to say uh, about all of that, whatever that happens to be. Uh, And uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it again. I am going to try and figure out... Uh, whether or not I can get Megan Allman on the show. Uh, you know, I've, I, I sit here and I pontificate and I, and I, and I do my rants and, and I say the things that I say. 
but I really think that Megan Allman can kind of speak to her campaign uh, and speak to the issues and speak to what she wants to do for Stanley County uh, in this position. I, I think she can probably do a whole lot better job than, I, than I'm doing. Uh, it's her campaign. And as I think about it, you really, you know, she, she, she really needs to be the one to talk about it here uh, if I'm going to talk about this stuff on, on the show. So I'm going to try and make that happen. But we'll see. We'll see what I can do. Uh, I know she's going to go on another podcast. Uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, that one is a podcast that is uh, done by uh, Anthony Graves. Uh, here in the county and uh, I'll be looking forward to that one so I'll see if I can get her on this show folks so uh, stand by to stand by hold on to your butts buckle up okay so uh, here we are uh, it's a it's a pretty good time to take a break uh, now seems to be a good time so I am going to get another cup of cafe du monde and uh I'm going to look in the stack of stuff here and see what else we can talk about. I, I don't want to make this a, a three-hour episode. Uh, I may touch on one or two other things here at the end here, but um, I'll go through the stack of stuff and see what we can talk about here for maybe another 30 minutes or so. Uh, and that's going to be about it for the show. Uh, and it will be the end of this year for the show. Uh, and we'll be kicking it again in January after New Year's, sometime in January. So uh, we got that to look forward to. So without further delay, without further ado, uh, let's take a break. That right there is emotional damage. Oh no, oh no, oh yeah. Releasing a report today that details what we have uncovered. We are also sending letters to the Biden administration officials and Biden family associates renewing our request for voluntary production of documents relevant to this investigation. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the President of the United States, and why he lied to the American people about his knowledge and participation in his family's international business schemes. National security interests require the committee conduct investigation, and we will pursue all avenues avenues that have long been ignored. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the President's family. These include conspiracy or defrauding the United States, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. The Biden family's business dealings implicate a wide range of criminality from human trafficking to potential violations of the Constitution. In the 118th Congress, this committee will evaluate the status of Joe Biden's relationship with his family's foreign partners and whether he is a president who is compromised or swayed by foreign dollars and influence. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and that's where the committee We'll focus in this next Congress. One thing I didn't hear from my friends across the aisle in their never-ending defense of the Bidens is what exactly the Biden family did to receive the $20 million. 
Unlike Democrats' investigations, this committee, under my leadership, does not launch investigations based on predetermined conclusions. I know that some are confused about congressional investigations because Democrat investigations in the past have been about saying a conclusion first and cherry-picking evidence to fit that narrative. People expect this committee to investigate public corruption. This committee revealed a wire for over a quarter million dollars was sent to Joe Biden's home address. As of yesterday, we know Joe Biden was named on a search warrant that was quashed by a Department of Justice employee. For my colleagues to say there is no evidence of Joe Biden's involvement is not only wrong, but it fails to acknowledge that investigators have been shut down when attempting to explore avenues that led to the president. That's what the Ways and Means Committee released yesterday. And good Tuesday morning, everybody. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley revealing yesterday in a bombshell uh, moment, a Burisma executive who allegedly paid President Biden $5 million and Hunter Biden another $5 million says that he has more than a dozen audio recordings of conversations he had with both Joe and Hunter Biden. The foreign national who allegedly bribed Joe and Hunter Biden allegedly has audio recordings of his conversation with them. 17 such recordings. These recordings were allegedly kept as a sort of insurance policy for the foreign national in case that he got into a tight spot. Joining me right now to talk more about it is South Carolina Congresswoman, member of the House Oversight and Armed Services Committees, Nancy Mays. Congresswoman, it's good to see you again. Thanks very much good for morning. being here. So was this all in the 1023 FBI report? Tell us what is going on here. So this was part of the information that was redacted in that 1023 form that we got access to. That information should not have been redacted in my opinion. It was a heavily redacted document where we were missing some key information while it was very detailed. Information like the 17 recordings was missing uh, when we read it last Thursday. But I guess whenever we get access to those tapes is when the next Trump indictment will come down. And it's clear that the President of the United States and his executive branch, the GOJ, do not want the Oversight Committee to investigate the, the corruption that he's involved with with this family, his son, his brother, and other members of the Biden family. But we're going to get to the bottom of it, Maria, come hell or high water. Last month, a whistleblower brought to light the existence in the FBI of a report, an FD-1023, in which the informant alleges that President Biden and his family members engaged in a $5 million bribery scheme during his time as vice president. Deputy Director Abadi, is it true that the FBI has a report making those allegations? Uh, I'm not gonna comment on that, Senator. I'm just not gonna comment on uh, information we've received, investigations. Do you owe an matters. obligation to the American people to be candid about evidence of corruption by the President of the United States? This is uh, an area that I'm not gonna get into with you, Senator. Well, I understand you don't want to, and that's why people are mad at the FBI, because you're stonewalling and covering up serious allegations of evidence of corruption from the president. There are 17 recordings of this informant from Burisma, Ukrainian natural gas company. 15 of them are recordings, voice recordings of him talking to Hunter Biden. Two of them are voice recordings of him talking to Joe Biden, Deputy Director Abate. Does the FBI have 17 voice recordings? I'm not gonna comment on any investigative matters, Senator. See, that's the problem. The FBI, and I've had this conversation with Chris Ray too, this is why you are damaging the institution. The American people have a right to know 
whether there is serious, credible evidence that the President of the United States took a $5 million bribe. And by the way, if it's false, Chairman Durbin just rolled his eyes. If Chairman Durbin were interested in the rule of law, we would have a hearing on these allegations. But of course, the Democrats don't want a hearing on the, these allegations. And to be clear, if the allegations are false, you know who could disprove them? Joe Biden. But the FBI is stonewalling. That's the problem. The FBI has right now an unlimited hubris that you believe you are unaccountable. You don't believe you're accountable to the United States Congress, and you don't believe you're accountable to the American people. People ask me, should we abolish the FBI? Now I tell them no, because you have heroes and patriots working for you that are catching child predators, that are catching terrorists. But you're sitting there happily erecting a wall to protect Joe Biden. Mr. Speaker, President Biden consistently has stated that he never discussed businesses with Hunter Biden's associates. That is a lie. Throughout our extensive investigation and from the lips of credible witnesses, it is abundantly clear that the Biden family business is Joe Biden. This summer, Joe Biden said, where's the money? Well, we found some. We're still digging into evidence subpoenaed from bank accounts belonging to Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, and James and Sarah Biden, the brother and sister-in-law of the president. A document that we're releasing today raises new questions about how President Biden personally benefited from his family's shady influence peddling of his last name and their access to him. Bank records obtained by the House Committee on Oversight have revealed a $200,000 direct payment from James and Sarah Biden to Joe Biden in the form of a personal check. And tonight, the FBI, as we've been discussing, is in possession of a document allegedly detailing a criminal scheme from Biden's time as vice president, according to the claims in what is known as an FD or a 1023 document. Uh, Biden is accused of taking foreign bribes in exchange for policy decisions. Comer believes these claims are credible, need to be investigated. The FBI is refusing to turn over the unclassified document, even after a subpoena. James Comer is now promised he will hold the FBI director uh, in contempt of Congress. Two weeks ago, they tried to act like this form didn't exist. And here we are today with the FBI bringing the form to the House of Representatives. Good morning. Mr. Biden is going to have a statement to make and will not be able to take any questions today. We appreciate you all being here. Good morning. I'm here today to answer at a public hearing any legitimate questions Chairman Comer and the House Oversight Committee may have for me. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House Committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. And they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine, shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. Let me state as clearly as I can 
My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. And he just goes out and basically gives Congress a middle finger, goes out and says he wants to make a statement and have a press conference. Then when he got through making his statement, asking for pity, then uh, he drove off in his car and wouldn't answer any questions. I mean, this is how the Bidens have operated. He doesn't set the rules. We set the rules. This deposition will be transparent. We will release the transcripts and then we'll have a public hearing. I would just point out that I've had a chance now to review what uh, Hunter Biden said in his, his press conference. And I think he made an interesting statement. He said his father was not financially involved in the business. And I think that qualifier, the word financially, is, is important because once again, it shows another change, another change in this story. First, it was no involvement. Then, no, I never, never talked to anyone. And then we find out about the dinners, the meetings, the phone calls, and everything else. Now it's, oh, he wasn't involved in the business financially. I think that is important. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the reasons we want to talk to Hunter Biden. Second thing I would say is this. In a few hours, I think the House of Representatives is going to pass the, the impeachment inquiry. And that is an important step. If you talk to any scholars in this, I, I think we could proceed as we did under Speaker McCarthy, where he announced it. But this is an important step. The impeachment power resides solely with the House of Representatives. If a majority of the House now says we're in an official impeachment inquiry as part of our constitutional duty to do oversight, that carries weight. That's going to help us get these witnesses in. And maybe most importantly, regarding this morning's activities, this is the argument that the White House and Hunter Biden's counsel used to say he shouldn't come. But when we take that vote this afternoon, what's our argument going to be then? We think he should come in. And so, and if he doesn't, we're going to, we're going to move forward with uh, contempt proceedings. What did the Bidens do to receive tens of millions of dollars from our enemies around the world? That's a simple question every American wants to know. Quite frankly, it's hard for me to believe, I'll speak for myself, that uh, all these oligarchs and the Chinese Communist Party were wiring Hunter Biden millions of dollars because they liked him because he added value to something. It will be proven to the American people that this is serious business. And we need to get on with it. And we need to have the other side to stop playing games. Chair recognizes Ms. Mace from South Carolina for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, in 2019, Representative Raskin didn't think a House vote was needed for an actual impeachment inquiry. And to quote uh, Representative Raskin, he said in 2019, there's no formal constitutional or statutory or even the House rule for how an impeachment inquiry is to begin. And so it means different things to different people. I don't want to hear another word from the left or anyone across the other side of the aisle about impeachment inquiry. This is complete and total hypocrisy this morning. My Democrat colleagues say none of this is relevant because Joe Biden was vice president while his family did these shady deals. Turns out that's complete and total bullshit. It's a lie. We begin our report on Capitol Hill. House Republicans are moving forward with their impeachment investigation of President Biden. Right, well, I think uh, we've made our point very clear today. Evidence uncovered uh, has shown a very disturbing trend. 
by the Biden family. We've spent months in this investigation accumulating evidence. Uh, we have a simple question that I think an overwhelming majority of Americans have. What did the Bidens do to receive the tens of millions of dollars from our enemies around the world? And today's unanimous vote uh, by our conference showed that we are united as a conference. Uh, we expect to have uh, people honor our subpoenas. Uh, we want to wrap this investigation up, but obviously uh, you get to the, the deposition phase uh, before you wrap up an investigation. So uh, that's where we are. Uh, we're very pleased with the vote today. I think that sent a message loud and clear to the White House. Uh, we expect you to comply with our information requests and our subpoenas. The House has now spoken, and I think pretty loudly, pretty clearly, with every single Republican voting in favor of moving into this official impeachment inquiry phase of our constitutional duty uh, to do oversight. So it's very clear the White House has been uh, obstructing our investigation. I think the message sent today is very loud and clear. We expect them to comply. Let me ask you, is a government worth preserving when it lies to the people? day of reckoning is coming for Joe Biden, folks. You know, all these leftists trying to convince us that Joe Biden didn't know what Hunter was doing, he had no involvement, uh, none of the business dealings had anything to do with him. Let me tell you something. What you're witnessing here is a kind of civil war going on in the House right now. Uh, the left decidedly don't like it when equal application of the law is applied to one of their own. And, you know, it took a while for us to get here, but hats off to James Comer and Jim Jordan and a salute to the IRS whistleblowers who, by blowing the whistle on the Bidens, they changed the course of history. But it ain't over, folks. The war rages on. So uh, we went a little long with that uh, last montage. Uh, but, but I think, I think, it, you know, the more I, <laughs> you know, when I build these things, you know, it's just, it's, it, there's a story being told here. And like I said earlier, uh, what you're witnessing, what you're hearing is kind of a civil war that's happening within the government right now. There are forces that want the status quo. There are, there are, uh, decidedly, um, evil forces inside the government, things, you know, things and people. Uh, and then there's the side of the government or representatives or individuals within the government that want to do the right thing. And I think that's what you're seeing play out here. Um, you know, with everything they've done to Donald Trump, you know, all the lies that they've perpetrated, all the things that they've done, all these indictments, all these court cases, and, and they're, they're trying to crush one man that threatens their hold 
on government and the institutions uh, and the people. Uh, they, they're doing everything they can to crush one guy that is a threat to all that. And then you got these individuals like James uh, Comer, uh, Jim Jordan, uh, and others who are really trying to do the right thing. And equal application of the law is one of those things. And the left certainly does not like that. So uh, there's a story being told in that montage. Okay. Uh, And that's why (laughs) it went a little long. So let's see here. I'm looking through the stack of stuff here. Satanic display inside the Iowa State Capitol destroyed, officials say. Yeah. Did you hear this story? Um, yeah, what in the hell? The satanic temple's display inside the Iowa State Capitol building was destroyed, uh, this past Thursday, uh, according to police, a spokesman, uh, spokesperson for the Iowa State Police told Fox News Digital that Michael Cassidy, uh, was arrested after allegedly tearing down the Iowa satanic temple's Baphomet display. In a text message to Fox News Digital, uh, Cassidy confirmed that he did tear down the, the, the satanic display, uh, which was erected uh, by the Satanic Temple of Iowa to represent the group's right to religious freedom. What in the ass? This, this is just crazy, folks. Um, he didn't elaborate why he tore the statue down. Well, I know why. It's offensive. Holy Jesus. Why, why, are we, why are we allowing this in our state capitals? The, the religion of Satan? Why are we doing that? You know, it, it's, it's up for debate as to whether or not Satanism is an actual religion or whether it's actually recognized, you know? Uh, good grief, folks. We really need to, to, I mean, we really need to reevaluate where we are today. All right. Our constitution and our, our, our laws are being used against us. Okay. Uh, it's being used against our Christian foundations. And this is just evidence of that. Iowa Republican governor Kim Reynolds condemned the display's presence, but said that it should be countered with more speech. Like many Iowans, I find the satanic temple's display in the Capitol absolutely objectionable. In a free society, the best response to objectionable speech is more speech. And I encourage all those of faith to join me today in praying over the Capitol and recognizing the nativity scene that will be on display. Yeah, feet away from this satanic display, apparently, before it was torn down. (laughs) Good grief. Co-founder of the Satanic Temple, uh, Lucian Graves, or Graves, uh, previously told um, KCCI Des Moines that the display would remain up there for two weeks. All right, two weeks during the during the Christmas season. All right, this is this is really just an overt, blatant middle finger to Christianity and to our Christian values. Uh, you know, in in our states. He's quoted as saying, we're really going to relish the opportunity to be represented in a public forum. We don't have a church on every street corner, uh, but my feeling is 
you know, if people don't like our display in public forums, they don't have to engage with them. They don't have to view them. This, this is just, this is just horseshit. You know, we really have to, you know, if, if, if what they say is true and the majority of this country is Christian, and I believe it is, then we better, we better get back in touch with the Bible and what it has to say about this sort of thing. It didn't work out so well for Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? Uh, good grief. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know who this country is anymore sometimes, you know? I, I'm, I'm literally speechless by reading this story. I'm, I'm like a satanic thing in a state capitol building. This, this, is just, this is just crazy, folks. We're, we're going to hell in a handbasket, uh, literally, here. Uh, and again, this goes back to, to what we've done to our education system and to our values and how we've marginalized all that and destroyed a lot of it. Uh, a lot of people, you know, the majority of people in this country are Christian. But I, I feel like, you know, if we keep doing the things that, that we're doing and we keep going down this path, it's not going to be that way forever. It's not going to be that way for long. Let's see. What else in the uh, stack here? Oh, I saw this the other day on TV. <coughs> Where's my lighter? Where are you at? Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah. Sorry, folks. I know this isn't uh, very radio of me. Um, so, uh, did you hear about this? Uh, a radical Islamist preacher who was born in Dearborn, Michigan, is seen in videos uh, that are posted on social media, by the way, arguing that Muslims in the U.S. should turn away from what he described as watered-down American Zionist Islam that ignores the idea of jihad. He's quoted as saying, this guy's name is Ahmad uh, Musa Jibril. Uh, he's quoted as saying, yes, there is holy war in Islam. It is jihad. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, this may be a surprise to many who grew up in the West, especially those who were born or grew up post 9-11, because of the growing number of hypocrites who are spreading the American Zionist Islam, uh, and it has nothing to do with Islam. That version of Islam is an Islam that suits the enemy, an Islam that suits the enemy. So what he's saying is the, the post 9-11 Islam practiced by people who ignore uh, Muslims who ignore <coughs> um, jihad, that, that's the Islam of the enemy, which apparently is us. Well, you knew that, right? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, he says that jihad must be a common normal term on your tongues, on your social media, and in the mosques and elsewhere. Now, uh, if you don't know, in Islam, jihad is generally used to reference uh, a righteous struggle um, internally within someone, okay? Um, and, and sometimes it's used for external uh, struggles, okay? Um, while it can involve fighting against oppressors, 
the violent holy war perception is largely, uh, they say that it's largely a misinterpretation perpetuated by extremists. Well, no, Islam is what it is, folks. It, it talks about jihad. You go to the scripture of the sword, and, I mean, it's there, okay? Um, you know, to say that it's just extremists and they've hijacked uh, Islam, that's horseshit. I'm not saying that everybody that practices Islam, or, you know, or, or every Muslim is, you know, ready to put a, you know, strap a bomb to their chest. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody that practices Islam is going to go out there and start killing Jews. Okay. But in the land where Islam is most prevalent, what are they doing? You know, Uh, Jabril also did not mince words when discussing President Biden, whom he labeled a terrorist and his administration's policy towards Israel. He's quoted as saying, you have seen that senile Pharaoh of our time. He's lost his mind of everything except his loyalty and support for Jewish occupiers. The extremists seethed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Jewish occupiers. I, I've already been through that. Uh, Jabril claimed that with the war raging in the Middle East following uh, the October 7th attack on Israel, now is the time for young people to understand that the infidel West, particularly the U.S., are enemies of Muslims. Well, you know, he's not the only one that thinks that, folks. You know, if, if, if the Arabs and the, and, the, and the Muslims over there in that region of the world get their way and are able to uh, eradicate Israel and annihilate every Jew... They're, they're not going to stop there, folks. And, and they say that all the time. They tell us that. They're not going to stop with Israel. Once they get rid of Israel, they're coming after us. That's a fact. He also suggested that Muslim mothers should nurse their infants with the love of jihad and the ambition to become a, uh, a mujahid and a martyr. Well, this, this is the same kind of crap that the Palestinian people, those who claim to be non-Hamas, uh, this is what they teach their kids from day one. This, this is the same kind of crap that Hamas and the so-called Palestinians teach their kids. All these rants uh, that have been shared on X uh, from time to time, formerly known as Twitter, uh, caught the attention of the Middle East Media Research Institute, which is a Washington-based uh, Washington, D.C.-based watchdog. Uh, Alberto Fernandez, who is the vice president of that institute, uh, told the New York Post, the comments are particularly inflammatory at a period where passions are already heightened. Rather than downplaying violent interpretations of jihad, he seeks to heighten them. Rather than downplaying the difference between Muslim and non-Muslim, he seeks to heighten them, actually mocking Muslims who seek to make a suitable Islam for the kafir meaning infidels, okay? It's the stuff that they're saying openly. What really worries people is what they're saying not in the open. You know what I mean? You know, what's going on behind these closed doors? What else are they talking about? Fernandez also warned that the war has been acting as an accelerant uh, for spreading radical ideas about Islam. 
It accelerates something which is already happening, he said, uh, which is kind of an ideological war which is occurring. So it drives interest and it drives people becoming more extreme. It's, it's already happening. Okay, it's been happening. You, you admit that. Okay, it's just being accelerated by guys like this. You know, that, that fight's coming, folks. I said it before, the fight's coming. You know, there, there's going to be a time, uh, and, and we're seeing maybe some of the beginning of that here. Well, I mean, not necessarily the beginning, but I mean, certainly we're seeing a religious war happening over there in Israel, in Gaza. I, I'm, I believe that's absolutely true. I think Lindsey Graham was right. This is a, a religious kind of war. So, interestingly enough, Ahmad Jabril uh, was convicted of 42 criminal counts, including conspiracy, fraud, money, money laundering, uh, and possession of firearms and ammunition. He was sentenced to more than six years in a high-security federal prison from which he was released from in 2012. Yeah, this is, they're calling for jihad now, openly, in America. Well, I mean, hell, we've been seeing it from these dumbass college kids and some of these other purportedly uh, Gaza-Palestinian uh, people here that, that, that uh, are against Israel and pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian. You know, they've been tearing down our American flags. They've been, they've been going after Jews, mobbing Jews, forcing them to hide at these college campuses. We've been seeing it. I'm telling you right now, folks, the, the fight's coming. The fight is coming. One of these days, we're going we're, we're gonna to rue the day uh, that we allowed a lot of this stuff to just be so pervasive in society. We wonder why society's going to hell, you know? We wonder why our communities and society in general is where it's at, okay? Uh, it's, it, it's precisely, it goes back to the home. It goes back to our schools. It goes back to uh, the, um, the compromises that we make as principled people. You know, because people, not everybody agrees. Not everybody has the same conclusions about things. And, and not, everybody, uh, not everybody believes or, or, or agrees on what the best course of action is for a lot of things. And, you know, honestly, uh, you know, that, that's a good thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, but in, in cases like this, you know, we're, we're, we're letting it happen, folks. I, I look at stuff like this and I'm like, what in the hell are we doing in this country? You know, I, I, just, I don't recognize America that much anymore. You know, a lot of places in it. Now, having said that, you know, that's my disappointment and my, my disillusionment uh, about certain places. Uh, you know, that, that, it, it comes out, you know, when you read stories like this. But, but having said all this, I'm telling you, this country is still the greatest country on the face of the planet, folks. And we're, we're pissing it away. We really are. If we're not careful, if we don't do the right thing, we're not going to deserve the title, the greatest country that the world has ever known. Now, I think the only reason that we haven't fallen all the way down here today is because Gen Xers are still kicking it, you know? <laughs> that's what's really keeping the hot and tots from taking us all the way down. 
You don't mess with Gen X. Because, sir, uh, we will fuck you up. We fought in real life, not on the internet. We are the last generation of feral children. We didn't have safe spaces. We didn't have trigger warnings. No one was allergic to fucking gluten. We mind our own business. We are older than Google. We are not the bigger person. So once again, I've gone way long. Uh, So I'm going to wrap it up here. But before I do, let me say this. When I read these stories, when I watch these reports, uh, when I talk about the things that I do, when I see what's happening in this country, I truly believe that we're in a fight for the spirit of this country. You know, not a lot of, not a lot of stuff out there surprises me, you know. Uh, and I guess I sort of expect some of this stuff when political parties like the Democrat Party champions stuff like this. When our learning institutions encourage this stuff. But don't get me wrong, folks, okay? I still believe in America. I still believe that we are the greatest nation the world has ever known, and that we can save it, and that it's worth saving. And one of the ways that we're going to help save this republic is by restoring the values and principles of family, of faith, and of education. If we continue along the path that we're on today, and our children are led to believe in things that divide this country, that tear down our national identity and pride and sovereignty, then there will come a day when children of tomorrow will not know the freedoms that we enjoy today. They won't know what it was that made this country the exception to the rule. They won't know American exceptionalism and patriotism. And if they do hear of it, it'll be in hushed whispers of an oppressed people. And then we're really going to have a fight on our hands. This country, this America, is the greatest country the world has ever known. And it's worth saving. But we must take the brains. We the people, more now than ever before, must take the necessary steps and engage ourselves in our government processes and in our societal progress. It's going to take ordinary people doing extraordinary things to bring back common sense, to bring back law and order, to bring back our pride and our prosperity. It's going to take all of us who still believe in America to do what's necessary when it's necessary. And that time is now, folks. Edmund Burke once said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. There are good men and good women who will not stand idly by and let this country fail. They're in your towns, they're in your cities, they're in your counties. They're right here, down on the ground, right here in the good old USA. And it's up to us to ensure that we do what's necessary to see to their success. And of course, you may ask, what is it that we might do to be assured of our republic's success? Resist the tyrants. Resist the tyrants. Reject their lies. Reject their lies. Rebel against their tyranny. Rebel against their tyranny. Remove the corrupt. Remove the corrupt. And restore the republic. Restore the republic. Thanks for listening to the show, folks. I'm Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame, wishing you a Merry Christmas, a very happy new year. And remember, folks, freedom never goes out of style. Mm-hmm.